Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert Don Pizzette, DevOps engineer Justin Dennison, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined as always by Don Pizzette. Don, how's it going? I am doing swell. Excited about today. You know, we have had a great string of guests on the podcast today, and today is no uh, no letdown, that's for sure. So yeah. it'll be a good one. No pressure. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Lowry's over there. Daniel, how's it going? Yeah, it's going well, Peter. Nice to see you yet you again, too. sir. And Justin, did you have a good holiday? Pretty good. I'm really perturbed by you saying uh, Don always joins us because he's been absent a few times. <laughs> well, if, if but we have the Don effigy that we... <laughs> Nobody's keeping score. Yeah. And we, uh, as, as Don alluded to, we are joined today by Heather Ponet, who is the Vice President of Product Management at Untangle. How are you doing, Heather? Yeah, I'm good. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. And you're out in California? Yeah, I'm in San Jose, California, so a little bit hot recently, but starting to cool down now. You don't know what hot just, is. Just out of curiosity, <laughs> what is hot to you? Yeah. Well, hot is when it gets, towards, gets over 100. It was 115 in my house the other day. <laughs> in your house. <laughs> like, like, I thought I was going to pass out. That, now, to that seems like a, not an issue. In of all where fairness, you live. Yeah. your head was in the oven. This is true. <laughs> this is true. That's one of that the bad gas days. Oven. Um, conceded, conceded. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to learn more about you and get to know you. So let's go ahead and jump in with our first segment, which is rapid fire questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Heather, this is a five-minute segment. Here's the deal. You're going to get five questions, hopefully. They'll give you 45 seconds to a minute to answer each of the questions. You go over time. Peter's going to hit the buzzer, and we're going to move on to the next question. Peter's going to take our first question. All right, so, Heather, I, I know we, we were talking uh, off-air before we started that we've talked to Untangle a few times at, I think, RSA and, and some other places, and, and I've seen them uh, at a lot of, of big shows and things. But for those that aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about what Untangle does? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, let's start with the name Untangle. So we see at Untangle, it's our purpose to untangle the complexities of secure networking. And to that vein, we have a portfolio of products that at Untangle, we collectively call the Untangle Network Security Framework. Our flagship product, which is part of the Network Security Framework, is a trusted multi-generation product used by over 40,000 customers around the world, and that's our next generation firewall that provides protection against malware, phishing, ransomware, all of those types of things. Uh, we also have our Untangle SD-WAN routers, also part of the network security framework. And these are used for a company that has multiple offices. The uh, next generation firewall would be deployed in the cloud or at the headquarters, and the SD-WAN routers provide connectivity at the branch office sites and uh, provide connectivity across the whole company. And then all of our appliances, NG firewalls and SD-WAN routers are managed by Untangle's cloud-based management tool, which is Command Center. And whether partners have one, five, a hundred or more of their SD-WAN routers and NG firewall appliances, they can all be managed from one place, um, the Untangle Command Center. All right, so I know you're in product management now and you have been kind of in your more recent past, but I heard that you started as a uh, software engineer or software developer. How has that experience prepared you for your current roles? 
Oh, well, yes, that's going back quite a bit now. But yes, I was a software engineer for about eight years. And I remember as a software engineer wondering, what actually does a product manager do? And of course, I know that now. But uh, what that did for me, it was it, it gave me the ability to tailor conversations to be as technical as needed for customers and partners, uh, but also be able to change the way I talk when I'm not talking on the engineering level. So being able to adapt um, to the audience that I talk to. Some customers like a lot of the detail, and I can often give them that without always having to bring the engineering team in. But uh, other than that, internally, I do work very closely with engineering team meetings every single day and having an appreciation for what they do, how they do it, including what tools they use and how they work, gives me the better availability to have those internal conversations. So we're all just one big team. Now, I know you said your slogan was that you guys untangle the complexity of security. And when you want to you know, have a proper secure network, there's a lot of pieces you need. You need a firewall, a router, you need switches, you need maybe intrusion prevention services, various other devices, endpoint security. Like there's a lot of different pieces in that solution. And I know I've worked with Untangle in the past in a few, especially like in the educational setting, schools where cost was a big factor, where they, they knew they needed a ton of things, but they could only afford a certain amount of stuff. So with that in mind, like what do you recommend to people when they're working on a shoestring budget? Yeah, our partners and customers often highlight that often a typical business will allocate about $1,000 or less to their IT security budget needs per year. Uh, so to those with budget concerns, I would say to choose an all-in-one solution where possible and look at the areas of most risk within the company and prioritize those. But there are other things that can be done that don't necessarily take money from that budget. So for example, our partners and customers tell us that one of the biggest issues they have that gets them into a lot of trouble with malware and ransomware is employees simply not following security guidelines that causes them issues. So giving employees training on how to recognize phishing messages and ransomware messages is really well worth the time and the effort. Simple things like ensuring that employees know how to double check an email address when giving them instructions to do something from the CEO or the CFO. Is it really the CFO? Is it really the CEO? Um, and to check a link before clicking on it, does it really go where you think it will or is it gonna open up some ransomware or malware on your, on your system? Now I've read that uh, you consider uh, cybersecurity this ongoing conversation between businesses and security vendors. Could you elaborate a bit on that, that thought? Yeah, cybersecurity is definitely not something that is just a set it and forget it type of thing, although obviously we, we wish it were. How, how secure a business's systems are is going to depend on how they have evolved as a company and changed, and also what the latest threats out there are as well. So for example, today, as you know, with more businesses having a lot of their employees now working from home, the cybersecurity policies are, are a little bit different. Conversations last year would be about how effective the on-network in the office security policies were, but conversations today are about whether key systems use the best 
pal uh, password policies, such as do they include two-factor authentication and uh, trusted devices. But there are also, the conversations are also about company assets and systems being accessible only once VPN into the corporate network to give them an extra layer of uh, protection. So the conversations just change depending on how a company has evolved and also what the latest threats are evolving into as well. Now, you, th you think Justin went back on your, uh, your LinkedIn. I, I went back further, uh, and I see that you were actually the president of your motor motorcycle club in college. And so I'm just curious, is that is that like the UK version of the Hells Angels? <laughs> uh, well, I still ride my mo motorcycle today, in fact, during normal times to get to work every day. But, but yeah, that's back where my networking degree started and where my love of motorcycling started as well. I think we thought we were mean and cool, like the Hells Angels at the time. But really, we had a great time riding around some nice country twisty roads and uh, enjoying the outdoors. For some reason, all I can see is uh, taking the Cat5 cables and splitting them and then making tassels out of them. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, that would work. Yeah, it would. I mean, it would whip your knuckles all to pieces. Sure. But Well, you got to wear gloves. It would look it. cool. That's yeah. what's important. Gloves. Well, I like I sandals, shorts, and no shirt. I assume yeah. that in Kent, it was just Vespas, right? Or <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. There were some right? fast little 125cc Japanese bikes in there at the time. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take your, your word for it. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, we, we want to rely on your expertise a little bit uh, on, a, on a new segment we have. We're, we're, it's something we've actually talked about a few times. Uh, I think we've done a couple stories about this, this Twitter hack, but we want to introduce our new segment where we're going to look back at it again and dive in a little bit deeper in Deja News. Deja News. All right, so this article is from, uh, let's see, unit221b.com. Uh, and this is how the coronavirus enabled the Twitter hack and others, too. So I guess we're kind of going to talk about this in, in general. And, and I think you alluded to some of this in, in, uh, in what you said, Heather. But, uh, but Don, let, let's start first with you. How, how sure. did COVID make this easier? All right, so more and more details are coming out about the massive Twitter hack a, a few months ago. I should say massive, right? There were a handful of really high-profile yeah, high accounts. Yeah, high-profile right. yeah. So it was extremely visible. And uh, we are learning more about it as this whole system goes through the court system. And uh, we actually have people who have been arrested, and now we're getting depositions. So we're learning a little more. And uh, Alice Nixon and Mark Rosh over at uh, Disruptive Labs, which is part of Unit 221B, they did a big write-up on exactly how the attackers were able to compromise Twitter's uh, admin panel, right? Because they used Twitter's actual administrative tools to be able to reset those accounts. And the key secret was social engineering, that they spent a good bit of time scraping through LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn, they were able to find people who were employees of Twitter, and they tried to target people who were in an administrative role, that were in like tech support roles inside of Twitter. And once they had that information, they were able to, through a, uh, a service that LinkedIn has, if you say you're a recruiter, you can pay and get people's cell phone numbers or just whatever phone numbers they have posted. So now they had numbers where they could call and contact these employees. And once they did that, they would basically pretend to be other Twitter employees. Now, Twitter's a massive company. They have thousands of people. I think we reported that over 1,000 people had access to the admin tool alone. And they were able to social engineer and basically be able to 
redirect those Twitter employees to a fake VPN login site where they could capture their credentials and their one-time password. And the reason this was so effective was because of the work from home initiatives, that these employees were not at Twitter headquarters. They couldn't just visibly see another employee or walk around and verify. They were remote, they were at home and getting a voice call really just wasn't anything special to them. They didn't, they couldn't verify like a source IP address because the other employees were at home as well. So work from home exacerbated this situation and allowed the attackers to take advantage of it. So that, that's, that's kind of the, the angle of what's going on here. That's why I make sure all of my phone numbers for all my social media platforms are Don's cell phone number. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why, that's why I don't use the VPN. <laughs> Straight to Starbucks. Seems right? dangerous. Well, but you know, tonight. things like caller ID are extremely easy to spoof. Yeah. And so if you know somebody's number, you can spoof the caller ID side. You call somebody up. And if that's all they have to verify you, if they don't know your voice, if they've just talked to you via email, you're, you're really susceptible. So this highlights how even the really big companies, this company has a billion dollars in revenue a year or whatever, uh, they're struggling with this. And uh, Heather, you mentioned that like some companies are only spending $1,000 a year on security. I spend more than $1,000 a year just to secure my own family, not, not even considering a, a large organization like this. So, you know, what are some of the challenges you guys see? Because, you know, you do firewall appliances and services and all that. For the schools and businesses you work with, these people have, have now gone to work from home. What, what are they doing to keep secure? Yeah, no, it, it is very different now. And uh, certainly you're seeing across the news over the last six months or so that uh, there's certain kinds of malware and security tips and tricks that are being used to take advantage of the COVID era, so to speak. So pretending to be something about COVID news and all sorts of things like that. But uh, a big part of the working from home is to change the security posture a little bit. Um, it's it's not the case that everybody's nicely protected about that big um, behind that big global firewall. So things like a, a multi-layered security approach, including endpoint security as well. But going back to what I'd mentioned before about employee training, teach people to use two-factor authentication, but also to use the device authentication as well. One of the things that uh, we all see occasionally, and sometimes we get annoyed about it, is this is the first time you've used this device. Let us prove it's, it's you. So making sure things like that are turned on is, uh, is really good. And then finally, the employee training. If, um, if a phone call comes in, validate who's calling you. Don't give away any information unless you're absolutely sure who you're giving that information to. Um, also validate emails. It's a, it's a simple thing. People will change just one letter, perhaps add that D to untangle. So the message is coming from IT administrator at untangled. If there's a D there, it's probably not legitimate. So employee training around that is really important. That's a subtle dig there because I did mention that I <laughs> have misspelled untangled before. Um, so, so thank you for that. I, that, that stung. This is one of those things <laughs> though, where I, I think sometimes, um, you know, social engineering individuals with a brand new thing, but something I've thought of, like when you get hired somewhere, like I can't tell you how many times I've worked with a company and they're like, Hey, I need you to fill out this like W4 again, or I need you to fill out this I9 mm -hmm. again, cause you didn't do it correctly. There's a lot of personal information on that. And it's all, I've been trained almost automatically to go, yeah, let me just write all that down. Social security number, where I live, phone number. Um, but how do, you, how do you protect against something like that? If I, if I go, hey, I'm from HR, I need you to fill out this W-4. Like, 
now I'm not even necessarily convincing you that I'm the CFO. It's almost like a, an ingrained second nature. Do we, do we retrain people to be distrusting of even things we've done all of our lives? So I think you have to do that. And I can give you a great story because this just happened to me a couple of days ago. Um, our, our CFO, Denise, she had emailed me. She needed a copy of my driver's license. And, uh, oh, she didn't email me. She sent me a text. Said, uh, hey, can you send me a picture of your driver's license? And I looked at that. Now, I know Denise, known her a long time. I've got her contact in my phone, you know, so I had her name, her picture. But I thought to myself, wait a minute. My driver's license is in my employee file, right? So wouldn't real Denise be able to just go get that from my file? And so I messaged her back saying exactly that. <laughs> I said, I'm not trying to be, you know, sarcastic, but don't you have access to that? Uh, and she reminded me that my license was... Uh, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years old in the file and it was expired and she needed a current one. And, uh, but she did give me some information that was something that Denise would know that an attacker wouldn't. So I, I've gotten to the point where I don't trust the people that reach out to me and it doesn't hurt to ask a question or two to try and validate. Don, I think you point out like a very interesting piece of the puzzle on why this continues to be so successful is people don't want to be dicks back to you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the people that they're talking to and they're afraid of offending them that... Like, don't you have my thing on file? Yeah, I do, douchebag, but I need the new one. You know, that's what they're afraid of. And because of that fear, they just comply. Like, when we when we talk about cybersecurity in our courses or whatever, always saying they use fear, they use pressure, they use intimidation, anything to get you to make a jump move to just, just fill out that I-9 form. I've done this a million times. It's something that's normal where we should, yes, be constantly saying, I mean, maybe we can put some pop-ups as like, hey, did you check this really well? And then after that, it says, come on. I know you just clicked OK. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and I know the I know the rule is to, if someone calls you, you don't give them personal information, you you call them back or, or say, I'm going to call the number on the back of my card or something like that. But it's it's weird with your company. And, and in Don's example, it's, it's someone he knows. But if you're working at Twitter, you know, somebody from HR writes you, you you've never heard of them. And, and it's very easy, I think, to fall for something like that. So... Um, you know, that, I guess it's a good cautionary tale that people can, can take out of this for how to be a little bit more uh, more careful. And these were teenagers, time. right, that did this, the, the Twitter yeah. thing? Yeah. Most of them, yeah. yeah but yeah. most people that work at Twitter oh, are teenagers, most too. Most people yeah. Twitter yeah. are teenagers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just imagine like a bunch of school desks. And they're they're like, this gang, is Twitter. They're going to have a gang <laughs> war with the folks at TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, Heather, I'm curious with with COVID going on, what what's going on with you guys? Do you have any events coming up or some virtual events or things like that? Uh, yeah, we do actually. So it's been an interesting time. The last big in person conference we do was we did was the one you mentioned RSA earlier this year, and then after that, everything essentially went completely virtual. Um, and it's been interesting adapting to that. But uh, people are adapting, and the attendances there were doing things in different ways. Um, and it's been a really good learning curve figuring out the most effective ways to do that and still capture the audiences and keep them engaged. Engaged. But there's there's one going on right this week, which is the Channel Partners Conference, which is September the 8th to September the 10th. Um, and then there's another one the week after, which is Spice World 2020. So there's still a lot of places to go and attend. Uh, most of them, they are attending from Zoom meetings and things like that. But there's also a lot of great tools enabling people to jump in essentially to a virtual booth of different security vendors and go have a chat with some of the employees as well. So uh, yeah, got a couple of those in the next uh, couple of weeks. 
Fantastic. So yeah, if you are planning to go to uh, just, I think we did Spice Works or Spice World last year. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're planning to go to that, uh, then definitely pop in and, and say hi. Are you going to be there, virtually? Uh, yes, we're, we're, we've got a team of people that are going to be at both of those. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Do you still get a per diem when you do that? <laughs> <laughs> go, go stay at a hotel in town or something like that? that <laughs> really yeah, treat hey, yourself. Good question. Good question. <laughs> yeah. Are you hiring? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and so if people want to find out more about Untangle, where do, where do they go? Uh, yeah, good Good starting point is uh, untangle.com, no D. No D, um, okay. Easy to find. <laughs> Got it. I did check untangledwithad.com. It is uh, <laughs> is available for sale, so if somebody wants to, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be cheap. Do a spam. I can, I can think of someone who should buy that <laughs> as a redirect. I mean, it's for sale like third party, though. Wasn't right? that a Disney movie? Yeah. Tangled. Oh, oh, yes, tangled. oh tangled. Okay. That is, don't untangled is the sequel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, untangled <laughs> you know, is the sequel. She just got short hair. She was like, it was fine. Yeah. 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 De detangled. I yeah. Think a quick comb and it was out. <laughs> I think we've beaten this one to death. Yep. Right. Well, Heather, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to join us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely. We'll uh, be sure to have you on again in the future. But uh, for now, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with a little more news from TechNATO with Don Pizzette. Need to create custom training videos and not sure where to start? The IT Pro TV studios are your answer. Whether you're creating end user training, employee training, a podcast, or general promotional videos, the IT Pro TV studio team is here to help. Choose the level of service that fits your needs, from ad hoc video production to the convenience of turnkey service. Available services include pre-shoot consultation, recording, editing, makeup, on-camera talent, and more. Choose from a variety of sets or customize the look using your own background displays and props. And if you think video is outside your budget, think again. The IT Pro TV studios are an affordable option with half, full, and multi-day rates available. Visit itpro.tv slash custom training to see the sets, view a detailed list of equipment, schedule a visit, and request your personalized quote. Don't stress about video creation. Let the IT Pro TV studio team bring your video ideas to life. Welcome back to TechNATO with Don Pazette. Thank you so much to Heather for joining us from Untangle. And uh, be sure to check them out at untangle.com with no D. Remember that. I'll tell you, Peter, if, if I said that, if, if I'd have been leading any of this segment, they'd have been a deal on every one of them things. I'd have been like, Untangled. I mean, Untangled. I just untangled. typed it once. Yeah. Out of, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I screwed it. And it auto corrected you. Yeah. Untangled. I mean, I guess when you get with the skinny part of a fishing rod for adding an extra letter, then you learn how to not have that letter on there. But. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the a, pilots will work you over. That's yep. a good approach. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into the news this week because we have a lot of it. And our first article is from ZDNet.com. Lenovo releases first Fedora Linux ThinkPad laptop. A Fedora Red Hat Community Linux for developers is finally available from a mainstream PC vendor, Lenovo. And a lot of people use ThinkPads here, uh, I think, in, in our office, or, or a handful of them at least. So uh, this will be an interesting option to see if anyone takes them up on it. Is something that you'll consider, Don? Yeah, well, you know, um, so I, I do already have a Lenovo, but it's not one that's officially listed. Uh, there, there's a few vendors out there that sell laptops that come with Linux pre-installed. There's some like System76 and Penguin Computing that focus specifically on Linux. And then there's Dell, where they have their XPS 13 Developer Edition that ships with Ubuntu. But this is the first time that a mainstream provider has decided to ship with Fedora instead. Ubuntu is really, really popular amongst a lot of people, but Fedora has a, uh, a, a great big 
bastion of light above it, I guess, uh, in that it's the distro that Linus Torvalds runs. Uh, because he does kernel development, it's typically closer to the cutting edge of what's uh, latest and greatest, but still stable. Uh, I'm a pretty big fan of Fedora. It's the kind of test bed of the Red Hat Enterprise Linux environment. So it's uh, really closely tied into the Red Hat community. But it's a, a cool distro. It's neat to see it available on a laptop. The Lenovo folks had announced they were going to do this a few months ago. But now it's officially live. So you can go on their website. You can buy an X1 Carbon Generation 8 and choose to have Fedora Linux as the default distro on there. Pretty cool. Now, Don, I must be confused about Fedora because when I initially read this, I was like, wait a minute. I thought Fedora was the cutting edge, but then as a developer, I would be afraid that like I would have an update and something would break. Like, is that not like how Fedora works? Because it's a rolling release, right? Yeah, so they, they do an update every six months, and unlike Ubuntu where they do the long-term, the LTS release every two years, Fedora doesn't have an LTS release. So when you install it, it's going to be supported for six months, and then you've got to upgrade to the next one. And so when, you know, it's 32 right now, then it'll be 33, and you've got to update. But you know, if you're a developer, you're trying to develop not for necessarily what you've got right now, but for what's coming in the future. So if WireGuard is going to be integrated in the kernel soon, you want to make sure that you're able to take advantage of that, and so Fedora lets you do it. You can still downgrade if you want, or you can do... Um, flat packs or snaps or whatever if you want to support older libraries all that's available but by default it is running the latest and greatest no, let's get down snaps? to brass tacks how much less money do i get to spend on a laptop because i don't have to buy a license well, you know um i think it's <laughs> it says in the article 40 here. bucks 40 bucks that's it yeah because <laughs> they you know the the windows tax isn't as big as most people think that it is when you're on one of these vendors uh, i know the difference between home and pro is not all that significant anymore I don't see it in the article, but yeah, it's like 40 it, bucks or something. Yeah, it's got the, the entire default package has a base price of 2145 But for now, it's available for 1287 That's a lot That's a cheaper. big jump. If yeah, if you ever buy a Lenovo on their website, they run massive sales like every couple of weeks. So if it's ever full price, just wait, and they'll do another sale. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or should I buy this? Wait. Yep. Yeah. Don Pazette said wait. <laughs> and Don Pazette said wait again. There you go. But, yeah. but like with a beret on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds and more official when it's French. And that really long cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. You will wait. I'm yeah. trying to get in and customize it to find out the license uh, price. Uh, <laughs> it's taking reason, me a minute. I just imagine Don packing some Misty 120. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, wait a minute. We're going to get flagged, aren't we? Because I'm talking about smoking. Uh, yeah. I, I have to check each week when I upload this that it is not for kids on YouTube. So. Oh. We, we might be cleared there. Oh, okay. Maybe there'll be a warning now. On the okay. Can you just opt into a not for kids standard and then you'd uncheck it when it is? When it, okay. <laughs> if we make a video for kids, <laughs> that no would be. No one said a swear And this week this it's Technado for kids. <laughs> Yay. Dick. <laughs> oh, no. Next week. Uh, and it looks like you uh, saved maybe next $44. Yeah. Uh, okay, just, 44 bucks. I'm, I'm doing math I here. I tell you what, you know how many packs of cigarettes you can buy for $44? <laughs> a whole like, carton. 44 bucks, is that a carton anymore? Uh, I don't actually, know. I don't think you so. Like, I think it's a like seven and a half dollars a pack now. Man. Yeah, I think a carton of cigarettes is like 80 bucks. <laughs> yeah. That's our new Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> just buy Cigarette. cards of cigarettes. Like, you mean see, prison prisoner, Bitcoin? Yeah, prisoners had it, had it right all along. <laughs> yeah. Prison cryptocurrency, also yeah. known as Paul Malls. I think we're onto something here. I <laughs> yeah. think this could be a whole new economy. Yeah, yeah. this is. A, I'm, I'm going to set up a, an exchange in the lunchroom. <laughs> so the new, yeah. So the new ThinkPad is 18 cartons <laughs> 18 of Virginia cartons. Slims. <laughs> yeah, 120. Oh, Some Benson and Hedges. Yeah. 
Perfect. You've come a long way, baby. Vantage non-filters, baby. That's premium. <laughs> right. All right. Let's head over to our next article over uh, at Ars If we were going to skate by on oh. that checkbox just a little while yeah, ago, I suspect gone. we are Yeah, I start now. every episode with, yeah. maybe it's good for children, then, I, then, then we talk. This yeah. article is brought to you by Lucky Strike. Remember, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. ArsTechnica.com. Western Digital is trying to redefine the word RPM. Well, those measurements of rotational speed are just like your opinion, man. Is <laughs> man, I tell you, so I don't think I should get white-knuckled, like, upset reading something. <laughs> Did you? Uh, yeah, it's dumb as hell. It yeah, is dumb as hell. Dumb as hell. <laughs> I intentionally didn't read this article because I wanted to just make some guesses as to what <laughs> RPM is. <laughs> uh, the best I could do was raviolis per meal. Okay. Hey, I like how you think. I think that's a more valid representation. Yeah, it should, it should be at least four. Because <laughs> at least I can verify how many raviolis per meal I had. What, what, what is Western Digital? Uh, what did they pick? Here? All right. So RPM is rotations per minute on a spinning disk, which you know most of us have moved over to SSD at this point, but if you bulk storage spinning disk is still a thing um the speed of that disk was typically measured in rotations per minute and it's not revolutions or is can it be. in cars oh, it can it's the same thing same okay um so <laughs> so, so i say uh but 5400 rpm drives were pretty standard but pretty slow 7200 rpm drives were faster and reasonably priced and then you got to like 10,000 rpm drives that were expensive none of them are as fast as ssd so obviously that's the better way to go uh but Western Digital has done a weird thing where they started marketing some drives not as 5,400 RPM, but as 5,400 RPM class drives. And people said, wait a minute, well, what is this class thing? There's no class. It's a number. It either spins 5,400 times per minute or it doesn't. And so with that in mind, I went into this article just expecting to see something slower. That, you know, they had that whole thing with the SMC drives or whatever it was called, the shingle something or another they uh, had shingles what was yeah. the scandal the the smr that's what it was uh, <laughs> it, it, the shingles virus might already be in your computer there yeah, you, you can get it in your eye so they had that scandal a few months ago i figured it'd be like that but it turns out that they're actually marketing faster drives 7200 rpm drives as 5400 rpm class drives and in the firmware of the drives they're reporting that they're 5400 rpm but if you test them they're actually running at 7200 rpm and the, the the question this begs to ask is, why would they market a faster drive as slower? Uh, people are complaining that they're buying them and they're consuming more power than a normal 5,400 RPM drive because they spin faster. I but got the, arrested for a grow operation because I bought a bunch of these spinning drives from Western <laughs> <Digital>. <laughs> The heat signature of the house yeah. went up. So the only thing I can see this working for is I wish they would say it's a four-cylinder class vehicle and I get a Lotus Elise for a Ford Pinto price. Yeah, and and who would complain about that, I would not. (laughs) So the thing is that Western Digital is trying to save money by using the same motor in these drives, and they've basically gotten to where it saves them money to put a 7,200 RPM motor in a 5,400 RPM drive, so that's what they started doing. But they don't want to bump the price up to a 7,200 RPM price, so they just leave it at the lower one. So this is one of those few cases where the consumer actually ends up ahead. But Ars Technica did a really good job of making it sound like Western Digital was the devil on this one. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> but I would still argue that they might be a, at least like a demon. <laughs> a lesser <laughs> demon. Yeah, maybe yeah. not full-blown like Beelzebub or Mephistopheles, but, you know, just... <laughs> 
we're Magical talking Mr. Mistopheles. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Mistopheles. We're gonna start measuring it based on not raviolis per meal, but like how many paladins it would take to uh, <laughs> to take him yeah. down in a siege. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the the fifty four hundred RPM class, like I don't know. It's just whenever people go, uh, I know units of measure are like objectively measured, um, <laughs> but I was thinking, hear me out. What if we put some marketing bullshit around it? <laughs> Winning. <laughs> hey, Peter, how do you feel about that? Uh, every week I feel that I have to apologize on behalf of marketing, but I, I'm actually really disappointed in this article because I thought they were going to use the acronym RPM for something else. I was hoping to get some raviolis. <laughs> well, and Peter, before I read it, I also thought they were going to do that, like, regal spaniels per mile or something. I, I, I'm still confused from a few weeks ago when we were talking about how a Windows Virtual Desktop is ARM-based. And I could not figure out what part of it was running on an ARM chip. Uh, so <laughs> it was the Azure, Azure Resource Manager? Yeah, Azure Resource Manager. Manager? I yeah. think that, see, that's again marketing going, no one uses the acronym ARM, right? Yeah. No. Can no. we use that? Yeah, we can say ARM-based. Is that yeah. Yeah. And ARM's not a word for something already, yeah. right? Yeah. Just, people know it's an acronym. It's yeah. a pretty standard uh, phrase. We can just for some reason, that. I just imagine the Windows logo on like, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like disembodied the arms, like the flopping Adams around. Family. It's yeah. like you know, he's just in there, moving stuff around. That's how the computer works. Yeah, there you go, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's head over now to our next article from SecurityBoulevard.com. Feds propose 911 emergency call for reporting security flaws. Experts warn it's easier said <laughs> than done. I mean, the things that people call 911 for right now, of like not getting the right amount of cheese in their taco at Taco Bell. I, 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 uh, what would this be? <laughs> this captcha is confusing. For I the can't record, the for the record, they are photo. they are not saying call nine one one for cybersecurity right. incidents. Not one. what they're saying. Like an eight one one. Yes, something no, like a four one one. Four one one. So they want to create a hotline that you can call for cybersecurity incidents, but not just any security incident. Incidents affecting U.S. government sites and services. So if uh. anyone in the public sees something involving the U.S. government stuff, you can call this hotline so that they're aware of it. So it's really like a bug bounty hotline. Uh, and, and that's it. That you get made no it, money from. They've made it as confusing as possible, <laughs> which is typical uh, of government agencies, I guess. It's a free bug bounty program. So all I can see is, hey, why don't we make a digital service where people can self-report about things being broken for the U.S. government? Well, where are we going to host it? At the U.S. government. Well, what if someone DDoSes it? That'll be fine. They can call the... Oh, wait a minute. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> That'll well, be all right. <laughs> one thing they call out in the article is that they are proposing to create this line. They haven't actually decided to do it yet. They probably won't. But uh, they've, they've kind of put this proposal forward. And it really centers around giving people a way to call in and report this stuff. But it has no verbiage in there for what to do once it's reported. So there's no, like, budget up. set up for repairing things. There's no ticketing system to then flood that over to the engineers. Details, so Donnie. Details. It's a, okay. All I see is them scrolling it on papyrus scrolls, rolling it up, throwing it in a T-shirt cannon, <laughs> and shooting it over some crowd and going, there we go. We did something. It's yeah, like when, it. the, uh, when the FCC opens up for comment. And, yeah, like, yeah, and then they disregard all of them. All of them. Yeah. yeah. Every call ends at the center with, yeah, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's, thanks good for luck. calling. Good luck. Yeah, good, good luck. Sorry you have to deal with that. Man, I'm glad I am not using yeah, that. Yeah. Thanks for being a patriot. Yeah, yeah. They, they, uh, they went with the phone system because they were going to do where you mail it in, but then they, they broke the postal service. So. Yeah, there was that. <laughs> all right. So, so this is not out yet. And as Don said, do not call 911. 
yes, to please. report computer problems unless you are uh, in immediate grave danger. Unless <laughs> someone it. is killing you with a computer. That's a computer problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With a U.S. government computer? <laughs> yeah. if, if you're getting wailed on with like a, an HTPC on, on the, a cord. The new Lenovo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. With uh, and you got the wherewithal to pull out your phone and be like, Hey, phone, call 911. <laughs> no, not 911. The, the new Dang one. It, not that Do the one. new one. Yeah. Oh, and if you are one of our listeners that happens to be outside of the United States, the United States government, one, does not care about your cybersecurity incidents, and right. two, is probably responsible for them. <laughs> don't they have, like, 999 in uh, other countries? Uh, real I know quick, they do in the UK. I want to go on record and say Don Pazette said that, and Justin Dennison is no way affiliated with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. like the government. Please don't hurt me. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get arrested and sent to get mode. again. Yeah. FISA courts. Are fun. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Um, so, so it would be fun to see if they take like uh, like submissions for what number this would be. Like I know that I would submit eight six seven five three zero nine like seven thousand times. Actually, I might write a botnet to and submit. Everybody would already know the number. That's, I, that's how government comment systems work, Justin. Uh, I think it should be a 1-900 number so the system can pay for itself, and uh, maybe even 1-900 mix a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, wait a minute. Hey, is Miss Cleo's number available? <laughs> yeah, 976. So I already know. <laughs> yeah, she got wicked in trouble for all this. Yeah, I mean, you think she would know the problems already. <laughs> you don't yeah, that's a good point. How, I know, I know. We're fixing it. Is how every call starts with her. <laughs> We're working on it. All right. So. Yeah. All right. Our next article is also from Ars Technica. We're going back there. The accidental notary. Apple approves notorious malware to run on Macs. Newfangled malware protection gives users a false sense of security. Critics say. So, what is this? Apple is uh, is approving malware now to, uh, to just. Get so, it right on your computer quicker? A few years ago, Apple changed their, their operating system so that when you ran an application, the application had to be digitally signed by a developer. And they did that to help people identify when an application had been tampered with or when you got an application from an unauthorized source. The biggest challenge that program had was that literally anybody could spend 100 bucks, get an Apple developer account, and start digitally signing their applications. Now. If you did something malicious, Apple could revoke your certificate and that would make the application no longer run. So it was a very weak kind of protection, but it it worked for a little while. Then Apple bumped it up a notch and said, now not only do you have to be digitally signed, but you can be notarized as well. And notarized means that the application has been through their testing process, that they've scanned it, they've checked it, it's virus free, it's malware free, and you can trust this application. Again, the problem here is anybody can pay 100 bucks, get a developer account, digitally sign their application, and submit it for notarization. Well, the problem with notarization, it's an automated process. And apparently, it just involves them running uh, McAfee antivirus on it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, in this case, one of the most well-known malware packages for Mac made it through the notarization scan. And so it's got people questioning how good is this scan? If it can't pick up one of the most common malware packages on Mac, what does it pick up exactly? And so here's an application that was digitally signed and notarized and had malware in it. And a security reporter researched it. Or, or sorry, security, security researcher reported it. There we go. Apple revoked the notarization of the certificate 
And the malware people just re-signed it again with a different account and it was back out again. They still hadn't fixed the notarization, so it got notarized more than once. Well, Two listen, things. Uh, I got a Mac. It don't get viruses. That's what I heard well, on the street. That was I thought McAfee antivirus was the elite of elite, so I'm gonna have to go re educate <laughs> my parents. Number two, can we get some of those automatic notaries for legal documents? Yeah. Because I hate going to the bank. Uh, notary's the worst. Yeah. Got yeah. the little stamp. They think I mean, better than everybody. Because yeah. then I would just take Peter's, like, houses. I'd be like, yeah, it's notarized right here. I submitted it. <laughs> oh, that's going to be an issue. Yeah, and then uh, I was like, hey, Peter, uh, you don't live here anymore. I apologize for what I said about notaries. Just five I used to think, ago. like, the notaries were really cool because they had that embossing oh, stamp. Oh, they don't do that anymore. Yeah. No, now it's just a stamp. It's lame. Yeah. It's lame. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, I ordered six of them. <laughs> I mean, um, under... Justin Dennison, Dustin Jennison, and uh, Peter Van Rysdale. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So this this is just another way for Apple to get a hundred bucks. Uh, well, it doesn't really help Apple in any way, right? So uh, it it is supposed to provide a basic level of security, and obviously they need to increase that and do a better job. Uh, but for a malware person, right? If you want to create malware and you can get it through the notarization check, which apparently is not as hard as we thought it was then now you can craft applications that your users are more likely to trust. When users get a dialog box that says, oop, are you sure you want to open this? It's not signed or it's not notarized. People, people get worried. But when they click on it and it just runs, they're like, well, Apple must have checked it. It just works. Yeah, because I'll typically read the reviews on malware before I install it too. So this is nice to just know that this one works. you got to find and the malware that's right for and you. And if yeah. you really yeah. want to go top notch, you got to do Norton Antivirus at least. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Okay. Norton's <laughs> better than McAfee? <laughs> I mean, Norton, like, isn't a wacko. <laughs> <laughs> a Caribbean island. And, like, uh, did you watch that documentary? Right. No, he's where, in where's bed the right now just rubbing poop all over his face. <laughs> oh, these people are talking about. He's like, mmm, scat play, my you, favorite. <laughs> you think they're making that up. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw it on Netflix years ago. Okay, I'll check uh, it out. Yeah, dude is certified crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I've read some articles smart. and stuff, but I'd love to see a story. Yeah. Won't wear a face mask on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Odell Beckham Jr. is into that, too, now. What? Never mind. Just, uh, Odell, just Google All right, it. So just so we're clear, I'm trying to figure out the, the connection between Odell Beckham Jr. and uh, McAfee. One of the things you just said about McAfee. Oh, oh uh, uh, scat play? I don't know who did you say Odom Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr. Odell, he's a, he's a football player, so yeah. this is the wrong podcast to bring up sports. No, I got you. I, I got you, Pete. Okay, I got, I got one guy here. Thank you. Yeah, the two gingers are the, the yeah. sports people. Yeah. The two most athletic people <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on the podcast. Hey, you speak for yourself. I was once athletic. I am not athletic anymore. If you see me running, you should run because bad things are happening. You are post-athletic. <laughs> I did Don, not start. Don actually did that one time. He, we were at uh, Wild West Hackenfest. He said. What happened? Because I ran out of the room. I said, oh, I left my laptop in the other room. I had to run back and get it. He goes, oh, I didn't know whether I should just haul ass. Because <laughs> if you're running from it, it's got to be pretty bad. <laughs> you're in North Dakota for the first time in your life. Yeah, going, yeah, yeah. Bears? It's, are there bears it's here? It's bears, cheetahs, like yeah. a militia with large caliber weapons. <laughs> Moose, maybe? A militia of bears with large caliber weapons. Yeah. Oh, a militia of bears. Yeah. 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 yeah Most supremacists everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our last article is from Slashdot.org. The FBI botches its DNC, DNC hack warning in 2016. But it says it won't next time, so they, they promised to do better. So basically all we're saying here is that they just kind of didn't raise a big enough red flag and just were like, hey, uh, there could be some hacking. So 
So I think, you, you know, mentally, if you go back to 2016, right, where no. we didn't we didn't <laughs> feel like we were constantly being hacked by the Russians, even though it was happening. You and, could go to a yeah. restaurant. <laughs> you could go to a restaurant. Yeah. Simpler so time. it was a more naive time. And uh, <laughs> the FBI started notifying various political organizations like the DNC uh, six months in advance. Saying, hey, you know, we've got some reports that the Russians might be targeting elections. It could be happening. And they used a lot of passive, indeterminate words, just not not aggressive terminology. And it it didn't come from high up officials as well in the FBI. It's just, you know, an analyst. I just I just imagine some guy with like a little bolo tie going, hey, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) So the. The message, much like Justin's, was was very easy to ignore, and that's basically what happened, is people just let the time go by and said, ah, nobody's going to target us, or our systems are fine, or whatever, (laughs) and then one day they find where, hey, the Russians have been in that server for weeks and months and had access to everything, and what are we going to do? Vladimir Putin won the election. How did... And I keep saying the Russians. I should clarify, like... It was really anybody who wanted to be in the server. (laughs) It just so happened it was a rushing hacking group, right? Yeah. Fancy Bear. Fancy Bear, yep. So if we fast forward to today, now I think people are on their guard, right? And if the FBI were to send out a letter like that that was saying, hey, we think some stuff might be happening, I think people would pay attention. But what the FBI is saying now is, hey, we're going to be a little more accurate. We're going to give you a little more information and try and be a little more assertive to say, not that we think this is happening, but hey, this is actually happening. Attackers are targeting these systems. You need to be on your guard. I bet it won't make any difference in the response these organizations take, but at least they'll know. Well, they're spending that cool <laughs> For some $1, reason, $1, I just imagine instead of, I think you're getting hacked, it's, you're getting hacked. <laughs> yeah, you, you are getting Well, and that's, that's the thing. At this point, it, it shouldn't be them coming to anyone saying, Hey, you're getting hacked because yeah, obviously we're, we're all getting hacked constantly. It's My computer is on. Home. Why do you have? Why do you think I have a stockpile of Vantage non-filters? I need to pay these guys. That's right. <laughs> that is the currency. Yeah. But, I mean, because you won't be able to get to your Bitcoin after no, the EMP. No, you got to have that prison Bitcoin. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to keep it where you're keeping it, Justin. This is not actual prison. <laughs> I don't need you telling me what to do, Peter. <laughs> He's got his cellmate to do that. <laughs> Hold this belt loop. <laughs> <laughs> yep, click that box multiple times, Peter. <laughs> that's what uh, I, that's what but I seriously, uh, so yeah, yeah, when do we think you're going to get all the information about the hack in this coming election? Uh, well, it, based on this, we should hear about it in 2024. Perfect. <laughs> That's a good point. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're four years late on this one. Yeah, they're going to be like, hey, we were hacked back in 2020. Yeah, President Putin said we were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he said, he said we weren't. I'm pretty sure he said yeah. we weren't. Yeah, I wasn't about to go against him. You know how he holds that hand? I just know he's going to draw down on me. Uh, and, and North Dakota is now called uh, New Siberia. Uh, New Siberia. <laughs> it is kind of our Siberia. It, it's, it? it's really our. Because it gets cold there. You know, apologies to anybody from the area. It's a beautiful country. Though. But statistically, chances are you're not listening. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> based on so the numbers. But, uh, There's Peter just... Yeah, making fun of people. Come to find out, that's like eighty percent of our listener yeah, base is like this small like, commune, and, and, all, and all of a sudden our numbers just drop off. And they're like, "Well, we have no listenership." They're invading on the Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> we want Peter. <laughs> We're like, we'll give them to you for two cartons of Marble Red. <laughs> give me some one hundreds and a soft pack. 
All right. On that note, uh, thank yeah. you. Uh, for... We know way too much about cigarettes. Now I know my value. <laughs> Bro, too, we come from great. we come from cigarette country. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, do these promos. Yeah, I'll do it right now. So uh, we got a good webinar coming up on Thursday, September seventeenth. The buzz about intent-based networking. What you need to know about IBN, and that is with Ronnie Wong, Thursday, September 17th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can head over to itpro.tv slash webinars and register for that one. You can also uh, see the one that we just did, uh, the new virtual desktop and inside look. Uh, that was with Christian Brinkoff, friend of TechNATO here, and uh, he was able to show Mike Roderick all the cool stuff that you can do now in Windows Virtual Desktop. Uh, and that one is archived and now up on uh, the website as well so check that out because i know we had we had a lot of people a lot of questions on that one um so definitely head over there and see what that one's all about uh and while you're on that internet head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado you can get a 30 percent coupon code for your personal subscription that's for the lifetime of your subscription so as long as you keep it active you get that uh, that price locked in you can also get a seven-day free trial. Uh, you can request information for your team as well. If you have a, a team of two to a thousand, you can get volume pricing and uh, find out all the cool things like the pro portal that are available to you. That's over at go.itpro.tv slash technado. All right, well, thank you again to Heather uh, Pone for joining us. And uh, thank you, gentlemen, for educating me on my value in cigarettes. How many cases did you say? Two? Two. Two cartons two of Marlboro Reds. Yeah, Got to be in the box, though. Case, yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, two, two cases of Marlboro Red might be able to buy a small house. <laughs> <laughs> or a very large house. Uh, yeah. I'm just, depends on uh, what area you're in. Yeah, a nice ranch yep. up in the Dakota country. All right, well, thank you, everybody. And uh, I think we did, Don, keep our streak of, of uh, great guests again. Yeah. How many, how many weeks does that make it? Uh, I want to see which which guest goes back and goes. 154. <laughs> what episode are we on? Uh, one, at 168, I think. Oh, 168. But they were not all good. No, no. I mean, sometimes the, you win, sometimes you lose. We've been winning lately. West, so. You know, I think it's one of the positive effects of COVID-19 is that, like, some of the really great people out there have time on their hands to do podcast interviews. They are bored. And we're working on a new uh, website for TechNATO where uh, we're going to have a – um, submission form as well so you can uh, submit yourself to be a guest here Sweet. because yeah we'd love to love to have more of you on I'm filling so. that out yeah then you no, you're in you're already in. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna suggest a bunch of alternate personalities uh -huh. just 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 have somebody photoshop different versions we of can me fill the screen with four just <laughs> yeah. instead all right, all right. <laughs> well uh hopefully we won't do that next week but uh we will see you guys then on technado with don Pizzette.